0: He says, this is the only thing I want. I want the the highest elevation we can get. I want to the most scenic areas and remote areas we can get to. And I want it to be the best route that it is. These routes are not intended to be ridden um, like a a Baja 1000. Um, They're intended to go out and to explore and and to be with your friends or your family or whatever and and just sort of stop and smell the
1: roses. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bend Motorcycle Adventures podcast. This is your hub for everything off-road, dual sport and adventure motorcycle. And now, here's your host, John. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Ben Motorcycle Adventures podcast. We actually have two episodes releasing this week, but the first is with Ride BDR. That's right, Backcountry Discovery Roots joins us and Kevin Woody, BDR ambassador and lifetime member, is here on the show to talk to us about all things Backcountry Discovery Roots. We're talking sand riding tips, upcoming routes, SoCal BDR economic impact, you name it, we covered it over the course of an hour. So I hope that you find this particular episode more than valuable. And with that being said, Kevin, please take it away and tell us all about Backcountry Discovery routes.
0: The BDR is a 501C4 currently, um, and we're in the process right now of converting to a C3. Um, the difference being is that a C4 is not a... a Uh, deductible contribution where the C3 is Um, that was a logistics problem when we first started out but what the Backcountry Discovery Routes um, does as an organization is that we develop uh, off highway routes for dual sport and adventure motorcycle travel um, we do that through education. Um, one of the examples of education is is that we host and take care of the adventure out sections at the internet the international uh, motorcycle shows that uh, tour around the us. Um, so we're there we we do seminars on particular. Uh, Topics of interest with uh, adventure riders as well as we mingle with the crowd during the 12 hours that the show is open in order to answer, you know, maybe generalized questions or specific questions by individuals about either routes that we develop. Or potentially, how do I outfit my bike? Um, I've never done this before. How do I get involved? Um, so that's a big part of ours. Um, advocacy, uh, we work with a, a fair amount of non like us um, in order to sort of put our guns together, in order to, to approach states or Forest Service or areas like that, in order to try to keep um some of the backcountry access open. Um not necessarily off route uh dirt bike type access, but mostly keeping roads open, um helping to defer cost. Uh, with organizations that need to go in and maybe reopen up a road. Um, we had a problem on the Washington uh, BDR, for instance, uh, just below Mission Ridge, uh, to where we, we contributed some money to to get somebody up there that, one, plowed the road clear of, of the landslide, as well as chopped up the wood that fell down the mountain and all that. Um, we also uh, promote uh, responsible motorcycle travel. Um, we do that, uh, for instance, with our education and um, in our initiative called Ride Right. Um, we promote that through various media and social media, um, encourage riders like us as well as um, non two-wheeled vehicles to always keep right when we're in these sort of backwoods uh, uh, Forest Service-style roads or desert roads where maybe I don't have access to the corner. Um, so instead of having a head-on um, where I'm drifting into the left or he's drifting into the left, which we, we try to educate people to, to minimize that. Um, what our main thrust um, is that we, as a volunteer group, Uh, We go out and we design and route uh, a south to north, um, usually from one border of a state to the next border. Um, We go as heavily off-road and as technical as a large bore bike um, potentially could be taken. And we provide those tracks once we're done. We provide those tracks for free to individuals. You can go onto the website on ridebdr.com. You can download that, put it onto your GPS, and take off for an adventure. Uh, We also partnered up. uh, One of the original partners in the uh, BDR was Butler Maps. And Butler Maps um, produces a waterproof sort of terror-resistant, decent map that allows you to follow in segments so that when we go in and film uh, the documentary, the BDR documentary, we do it in segments so that if, if you don't have the time to go I'll pick on Washington. If you don't have the time to do the full thing and you need to bail out at Ellensburg, for instance, then you can look at those segments on uh, within the the documentary to give you an idea what you're going to be faced with. Maybe it provides you some good ideas as to where you want to remote camp. Um, some of the things that are highlighted in there might be um, view spots, uh, things of that sort, where I'm going to get fuel, um, what little towns maybe I encounter, um, so we charge for the last two we charge for the uh, the movie we uh, help to defray the cost of producing the movie by selling the the, uh, the documentary, but then also Butler Maps provides the maps to us um, on a consignment basis so that as we sell them, then we turn around and and we square up with uh, with butler maps
1: and for our listeners the the maps, the uh, the paper maps, if you will, they're a great resource, not just for the route, but there's a lot of history that's included in the maps. And like Kevin said, uh, good places to stop for gas, possibly places to lay over for the evening if you're camping or if you choose to utilize lodging. So I know a lot of people are shifting away from from actual handheld maps, but these things are a great resource. I have all of them.
0: I I would say that there's probably only of the nine BDRs that we have mapped out, um, because of the length, uh, our average length of a a route is about 1,000 miles. So when you lay 1,000 miles out on something that's 27 inches in height… Um, it becomes very, very compact. And, and areas like, uh, I designed the Mid-Atlantic BDR, for instance, and there's no way possible that you can take a paper map and go out and ride that. There's, you, there's too many offshoots. There's too many parallel roads, um, intersections that are missed. So, but like you say, it is a great supplement to the GPS tracks because it gives you an idea of what's going to happen later down the road.
1: Can you take us back to the start? Kind of where did the idea of creating these routes spawn?
0: Um, well, for your listeners that don't know, um, TourTech. Um, TourTech is a, an accessory manufacturer um, for adventure bikes. And one of the, the U.S. operations is here in the Seattle area. And it happens to be owned by Tom Meyer and Paul Gillian. And when Paul got involved in the in the business, I want to say 10 years ago, um, he and just as sort of a team building exercise, they took their dirt bikes, um, their plated dirt bikes. They went to Oregon and they downloaded the Oregon or paid for the Oregon uh, backcountry route, um, which was put together by a four-wheel drive group. And they went down just to go ride and get experience all together riding. And they came back, and during the during that time when they were riding the Oregon one, they were like, "Oh my God, this would be an absolute perfect thing for Tour Tech and and for us to get involved in in order to help to spur interest into the uh, adventure riding." So they came back. Um, There were three or four of them, five of them that got together. Um, They started to to route. um, uh, Bryce, for instance, came in, and and they started routing the Washington one. And and before they knew it, they had a route in about a year. Um, They uh, contacted uh, Sterling Noreen. Uh, who shoots most of our documentaries? Uh, got him involved. Uh, he came in. Um, they shot the first Washington one um, at the time, and then it's just sort of morphed in. Um, it's become a lot more sophisticated of a of a documentary now. We we used to like in Washington, there was one film. Person, and that was Sterling. Um, we had a couple of GoPros, I think, at the time. Um, but now it's evolved into, uh, for instance, in California, I think there were two film people, two still photographers, one drone pilot, um, and a support vehicle that would help to set up camp and do, the, uh, do our
1: foods and stuff for us. Yeah, I want to rewind back to that to the SoCal BDR. That was a highly anticipated route, and I, in fact, I think it was so highly anticipated that you guys went ahead and uploaded the tracks ahead of schedule, but what can you tell people who haven't ridden the route about that particular ride?
0: Um, it's the only ride that the BDR has that legitimately you can say is a winter route. Um, so, for instance, I, I've ridden parts of it. I have not fully ridden the um, the full route yet. I wasn't on the cast um, that did the the uh, uh, last or the documentary for it. But the route is up until you get to the very north end of it. It's pretty much available year-round. Um, It is a very deserty route, Um, lots of sand exposure, uh, technical in the sense that there's a lot of loose um, shale-style rock. Um, If your listeners are familiar with Death Valley um, and have ever-ridden there, it's a lot like Titus Canyon. Um, There's a bunch of different slot canyons that we roll through. Um, the washboard from Heck that goes from the, the crater out to Racetrack Playa, for instance, is um, incorporated in that. So it's a it's of technical um, ranking. It's probably the hardest route that we have. Um, if you add. Water, for instance, to, say, New Mexico, it becomes extremely technical. Um, but as far as the topography and the actual route itself, California is is pretty high on the technical scale.
1: Okay, Kevin, speaking of sand, I had an Instagram user shoot me a message and wanted me to ask you if you have any tips for navigating the sand on one of these larger adventure bikes. Um. Well I'll
0: preface that by saying I ride a R1200 GSA. Um, I learned on a GS uh, 10, 15 years ago whenever it was I started to do big bike stuff. Um, one of the things that I found on bigger bikes um, and Quinn Cody uh, from Honda's or I'm sorry from KTM as uh, we ride as a group. Uh, frequently, and his, his comment, and he sort of revolutionized my game in the sand by obviously getting your, your backside as far back on the bike as possible to deload the front end, um, but second is to cover your clutch um, and your front brake with your index finger so that when you're throttle on, you're not pumping the throttle. So as you're going through sand, if you're if you're constantly goosing the throttle and you you're, you're on it, you're off it, you're on it, you're off it. what it does is it breaks the traction of the of the rear tire and it causes it to bog itself down. So then you just get in this ratchet um, pulsation um, but by covering the front end, Making it loose, getting yourself way back, it lofts the front end, and it 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 makes it a much easier, a lot saner of a ride than it is to try to 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 sit in the saddle as I see a lot of sort of newbie riders try to do in sand because it's so squirrely.
1: Okay, all right, listeners, a little bit of a, a sand riding tip in case you head down to the SoCal BDR or perhaps Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, one of those routes. Well, I would say that you guys have
0: as much. I've, I've ridden in Millican Valley many, many oh, yeah. times. Since. <laughs> you guys are probably better experts at it than we are up here, so for sure. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, uh,
1: it's funny. I've had some interactions with some people from Southern California on Instagram. They're giving me a hard time about riding in the sand, and I'm thinking, guy, I think their their perception of what they're riding like in Oregon, especially Central Oregon, is a little bit off because I've been swimming in the sand for the last couple of days over here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> For sure. And then as soon as it gets done, then you're on a
0: vertical, you know, volcanic (laughs) rock
1: face. So (laughs) Yeah, very diverse trade here. Hey, on the nonprofit status, are you trying to change that so that people can donate and it will be tax deductible?
0: Yeah, the thought process it, it, it goes probably in two or three different realms. One of which is obviously so that it's writable to you guys. Um, it's it has not been that for our supporters in the past, um, but we're our feeling is this allows us. The ability to be able to not only get a member or not a member, but a supporter, but if there's matching dollars available um, for that, then it allows for the corporate world to step in. Um, it also helps us in the corporate world when we're a 5013C in order to, uh, for instance, KTM when they donated the bike um, and that, they can take a lot more tax, um, advantages, um, dealing with a, a three C versus a four. So we're trying to make it easy for people to be able to, to contribute.
1: Okay. Now, yeah, that's correct. You guys decked out a KTM 1090 and raffled it off. How did that end up?
0: That was, we all sat around on one of our board meetings. I'm a board member on the, on the group. Um, there's seven of us that that volunteered to do that and we were sitting around and ktm announced it and said hey we're gonna we're gonna do this for you guys we negotiated it out and and we want it to be sort of coincide with california yeah and so we sat around and in our powers we thought well this is going to be phenomenal and you know maybe we're going to get forty thousand dollars maybe forty five the bidding starts, and I think it was probably less than four days. It was sitting at like 50K. Uh, when I was doing one of the IMS shows, um, I want to say it was Chicago, uh, when I was back there, I was watching the counter, and it, it popped up to over 100K, um, and then this little push popped in, so it, it was unbelievably successful for it and the guy that won it uh, mike toon is from alaska and he's been a long-time supporter of the bdr so it it went to a really cool guy it's 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 really neat and and i i, I can't really say what the next maybe one might be but there it is on the horizon that this will be an ongoing um uh thing as time rolls on for us so each hopefully with each uh uh bdr that we introduce in january um we'll have this sort
1: of giveaway piece to be able to do again okay and the one you're speaking about is the is that the northeast backcountry discovery route yeah the next one on the on the pike
0: we've if i can i'm going to back up and sort of give a give you guys an idea of what the process is for us and sure. and what we do but is we at any given time there's probably four um routes that are in process and originally when california came out Cal- california was a a very rapid developed route in that um, we wanted to do it. We wanted to be part of the guys that were developing it, um, Ron West and, uh, uh, those guys came in and they actually got it done in two years. So it actually displaced, um, finishing off Wyoming and some of the other routes. So we sort of look at each route, um, and it's, basic um, how deep into it are we, are we 70%, 50%, 20% in the development of it. And then as time goes on, it begins to either take over another route or falls behind a route that's progressing faster. So the particular one on the northeast that um, I'm involved in, I'm I'm helping to route that with a group of guys back there and a a gal, is – it was supposed to have been after wyoming so we were going to film wyoming this year and then film um in late september 2020 the uh, northeast route but because of the amount of snow that that um, wyoming has on its surface right now uh, the top end we couldn't finish it and we're afraid that it would most likely not even be melted by the time we went to go in and to film it, so Wyoming is about probably eighty percent complete, um, but the top end is the most technical area which happens to be the highest elevation so what we did a little thing we did a little differently with the northeast is on any of our routes normally it's one route boss and two or three volunteers that sort of do the whole thing from start to finish. Um, when I set up the northeast route, I, because we go through five states, what I wanted to do is I wanted to have sort of the local experts um, each develop their section of each state so that when, when you're developing a route, it takes on a personality um, for instance, the Mid-Atlantic is uh, is very historical because that's what I am. I love history, and and I wanted to incorporate battlefields and some of that. So us that live out here in the West, we go out there, we get to participate in uh, something that maybe uh, we wouldn't normally get to see. So the Northeast, what I Really wanted to have happen was the I wanted to get the locals' interpretation of what they think an adventure ride is. So I've got very uh, we have five highly skilled people back there um of each state that are sort of connecting the dots. So as we started to plan this, I would tell Tim James, for instance, I want you to meet Jessica here and then you i want to meet uh this person here and the next one and then the next one and when i talk to my main guy i want to exit out of maine into canada at this point so that's how we sort of developed it but because it's not up to one two or three people doing a full 1200 mile route we actually were able to finish the route in about a year and a half whereas like the mid atlantic um took me just over 3 years to to do so we were commuting back and forth so so it allowed us now with this problem with wyoming to be able to to take the stress off of us and say hey let's just do the the northeast it's virtually done and boom we're ready to go so the next one after the northeast will most likely be wyoming
1: okay that's exciting and i'd be curious to know when you're developing one of these routes, do you have a checklist or, or maybe three or four things that are really important to you when you're laying out a route?
0: Yeah, it's um, it was funny because uh, Paul Gillian, he took me aside when I was at a tour tech rally in uh, back east. Um, I shipped my bike out and I did a bunch of routing back there. And he says, this is the only thing I want. I want the, the highest elevation we can get. I want to the most scenic areas and remote areas we can get to and I want it to be the best route that it is. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that <laughs> no sort problem. of doesn't explain a whole lot. But <laughs> so it it's not not a lot of pressure, um, per se, but it's the guidelines are pretty specific that we wanna we wanna try to get people as remote as possible. Um we don't wanna put them into for instance Millican Valley and, and with a you know, 600 pound bike and have to do the, the vertical walls and, and some of the single track that's out there. So we have to be very, you know, conscious of that. We're, we're not going to make it easy on people, um, is one of the goals, but at the same time, um, we don't want to, we don't want to obviously hurt people. We don't want to get them in a situation that might create a problem for them, um, because it still needs to be enjoyable. Uh, the mid-Atlantic, for instance, um, I detuned it big time. Um, it's probably as easy um, as Idaho um, unless it's rainy in that. But because the Northeast doesn't – or the uh, Atlantic coast doesn't have a lot of opportunities for off-road for people, um, you've got 75% of the population within you know, close to 100 miles from – both the M.A. and the N.E., um, is that it doesn't afford them a lot of opportunities to go out and to learn. So the M.A. was really a a very detuned route that gave a lot of people um, the opportunity to ride without being in a situation like California would have put them into, to where maybe they had to bail and all of a sudden, oh, heck with this, I'm not going to participate in something that I I can't do. Um so really the MA is it was a learning thing for them so as when we decided to do the northeast then that's when we wanted to to bump it up and and it's probably especially Maine and probably the mid New Hampshire and part of Vermont um will probably be one of the more tougher routes that we have it's very very exposed uh um extremely isolated in in maine for instance um we've got some water crossings up there that are you know almost 150 yards wide uh so it's a, yeah it's it's a pretty cool and we've got some rock uh sort of similar if you've ever done washington we've got a a rock face that's um, going to separate a lot of people there for sure. But but when we do that, when we have an expert-only section like that, we do have go-arounds. So, you know, if if your listeners or anybody is out there going, oh, I'm never going to go do that because I don't want to die, is there are always
1: areas that can bypass those. Sure, and I think you guys have done a great job of uh, putting routes together that, that most of us can ride, and that's a wide spectrum of people. But it's funny how our – our tastes differ. If you ask me, I say, take me to Colorado. I want to get up to thirteen, fourteen thousand 14,000 feet. My girlfriend watched all the documentaries. She wants to go back to the mid Atlantic. So it's kind of, it's kind of neat that, that you guys put roots together that everybody, you know, from, from kind of different walks of life can, can find something that they want to do.
0: And, and I think that goes to the personality of the route and it, every route, has its own physical personality there are sections in the route for instance in the ma if you add two days worth of rain it's impassable in probably 40 percent of it if you go to new mexico and you get a hour-long monsoon um above uh, chloride canyon completely impassable until it until it dries off so even though it's a very simple section, all of our routes are, are very weather sp- sort of influenced. Um, so, granted, it might be on a scale of one to ten, a three. Um, it could be DEFCON five, you know, or six or seven by
1: the time you're you get through it. Yeah, I think we've all we've all seen the photos and the videos of people getting caught in monsoons in New Mexico, and it's just uh, it's it's day over. When one of those rolls through, we, When we were filming New Mexico. Um,
0: we we ended up uh, losing a day. Um, got stuck up at the top end of a of a pass. There's a there's a wolf sanctuary up there, and we ended up having to spend the night in the middle of a wolf sanctuary sanctuary because the mud was it's that cleachy stuff. You know, it was really tough, but. That was was a great story. That that, that was a lot of fun to hear.
1: (laughs) Hear the wolves. Do you guys get a lot of feedback about your routes, positive or negative? People saying you should have gone here, you should have grabbed this. I I, I, I would imagine you do.
0: Yeah, I got um, a lot of times Rob Watt. um, He's the route development guy. He's sort of the head of routes um, for us. We call him the route boss. But. Um, he ends up sort of weeding through a bunch of that, but it's it's really funny because. One email will be, oh, you've changed my life, and this is the most incredible thing I've ever done, and I can't wait to do the next one. To people saying, you guys are completely off base, you're breaking my bike, and all you're doing is wanting to sell more gear. Um, to the guy that says, wow, I'd really wish you'd make it far more technical. To the ones that say, nah, this was way too technical. How come you're doing this? <laughs> so it. it there is a, a big diversity. I I don't think we get many people that are super aggressive or overly passionate about it. Um, but we do get people that wanna, you know, make sure that we're aware that maybe we missed a really good spot. But that's part of the the, the whole adventure riding thing is that we're not suggesting that you go out and start in Temecula, for instance, and, and roll yourself up through the through Death Valley without Maybe taking a day to smell the roses. These these routes are not intended to be ridden um, like a, like a Baja 1000. Um, they're intended to go out and to explore and and to be with your friends or your family or whatever and and just sort of stop and smell the roses periodically. I've I've done routes. Um, for instance, I've I've never completed Utah um, because I've always been stopped at LaSalle uh, due to snow. And for me, it was great because it gave me the opportunity to go ride this, you know, 600-pound GSA in Moab um, in places like that where I probably would have maybe not done that. Um, so it's, it's – people have to be adaptable, and I think they also need to take it for what it is. It's a free route to get you out there. Um, it's not out there to for people to have bragging rights to say, oh, I completed it in two days. You know, we're, we're not looking for that.
1: Yeah, and my advice to any of the listeners, I've talked about this quite a bit, but I did Idaho on kind of a condensed schedule last summer and uh, kind of regrettably, I mean, I'll, I'm sure I'll be back this year, but take your time, add an extra day or two or, or follow the, uh, the, the kind of the schedule via the map and the tracks, but don't rush through these things. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, missed opportunity, I think, with people when you uh,
0: don't stop at these small computers, like at Jarbridge, um, for instance, the start of the Idaho BDR, the finish of Nevada. It's, there's 13 people that live there that in part of the BDR mission is to route through these small communities that don't have tourist dollars any longer because the superhighway's taken it away. And to try to give them the opportunity in order to make a little bit of extra income based off what they wouldn't have seen before, and that's the motorcycle community. So, for instance, in Jarbridge now, I think there are um, three bars or uh, restaurants that are open about six months out of the year. Um, There's a small hotel that's been regenerated a little bit. I I wouldn't... say i'd go spend a honeymoon there but <laughs> but at least if you want if you wanted to get out of the heat or the cold it's it's there they have that and they have a little grocery store now that has a lot more grocery supplies um when we did the mid-atlantic for instance we i rolled it through the there's a uh, a lodge where dirty dancing was filmed and i thought how great would it be to go to Cedar Run, or not Cedar Run, that's on Fly Fishing Village, but this dirty dancing venue, it's a phenomenal place for dinner, it's this beautiful, old, historic place. And we went in, and the general manager, this was after we had filmed and everything was released, the general manager came over to our table, there was four of us sitting there, and uh, I took some people out to write it, and he walks up and he's like, oh my gosh, he says, you're the guy in the movie. And I said, Oh, well, yeah, whatever. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was, bought the whole table dinner, bought everything. He said, because we had doubled his income to the restaurant in two months. So just because of motorcycle people. So it, it really hasn't, huge impact to these small communities. and, And if we respect them, they respect us. And that's what we also promote. You know, heavily is to be respectful. Riders um, don't go in and roosting, having to do 800 miles an hour through Jarbridge. Um, stop, smell the roses, get to know the people because they they are very very enthusiastic about what we're doing, and and they want they want to be part of your life. At least live precariously through you know what you're doing on this space age looking
1: bike. Yeah, and I, just to kind of reaffirm that, I experienced the same thing in multiple little towns in Idaho, but specifically. Yellow pine, there was like a bus motorcycle community when I rolled in there. And, uh, you know, I think I had probably a 45 minute conversation with one of the residents of that town and we're just kind of bouncing questions back and forth, but they, they were happy to see us. And it affords them it affords them opportunities
0: too as individuals that live in these small areas because if they were drawn to that area because of logging or or because of mining and that's sort of dried up and washed away or at least it's been minimized gives them the opportunity to have other forms of income and which is great because we. we Probably one of the hardest gas stations on the planet to, to lose for us was the one that's at the south end of LaSalle. Um, it's 60 miles up from the uh, three-step hideaway area there, is that that gas station closed down. So it, it added 60 miles to an already 120-mile section. So it's very difficult to see those things go away. And, and the more of, of these little gas stations and grocery stores uh, stores go away, the more difficult it is for us to go out and participate in
1: an activity that we all, you know, uh, very much enjoy and, and love to do. Yeah, and it's a good point. I wanted to touch on this. I don't know where this study came from, but it kind of profiles from a couple of years ago, you know, the uh, – the amount of money that, that those of us riding backcountry discovery routes spend in states. and for instance, in, in 2017 in Idaho, three million was spent by people traveling the route and almost 4 million in Utah. So we're, we, you know by creating these, you are generating revenue for small businesses along the routes.
0: Yeah, we uh, commissioned this. We had a—it's our tourism um, packet that we provide to, to different states. And when they did the surveys, they did all of the crazy stuff that those people have to do in order to put together some kind of of document that says how much we spent. It didn't involve the Mid Atlantic. Um, it wasn't completed yet. And to give you an idea, our downloads for Idaho um, on the tracks, for instance, are probably pushing somewhere around three to 4,000 downloads uh, for tracks. Our maps, um, for instance, in Idaho, we may have sold 1,200, 1,400 maps over the, the life. Um, but you go to the Mid-Atlantic, um, we've sold, I think the last time I heard from uh, court's a good friend of mine court Butler, and the last time I had talked to him about it, I think we were over fifty five hundred maps and we sold um, thirty five hundred of them which is our print run um, how many we print at a time um, we sold thirty five hundred the first two months that after the the premiere came out so if you if we look at um, mass i'm sorry the ma route and add that into it we're probably pushing total expenditures of probably well over in excess of 25 million dollars so it's a big deal it's a that's big, amazing
1: big and there's there's clearly a thirst for this on the east coast isn't there
0: yeah there's i tell you you go to well we'll have premieres in seattle we'll get 200 people that come to a theater I was I did premieres when we did the Mid Atlantic. I flew back and I did seven premieres up and down the coast and there were one of them was in uh, at the start in Asheville, North Carolina, and we had almost 500 people in a bar. Um it was it was in this pub slash brewery and it it was absolutely unbelievable the the thirst they have on the back so i i i want to encourage or at least i want to let everybody know that's that's hearing our voices here that that we have a very very special unique opportunity in the in the west um, to have open riding areas when you go to the east it does not exist so it's private it's, private land huh private land, um, as well as at the whim of the forest service, they can go in and they just block the gate. Nope. I don't want people here this month. So in doing those types of things, the BDR steps in, we spend some of the the monies that, that are, um, given to us and we go in and we, we help to fight that. We, we try to keep those areas open for people, because every year when when I was routing, for instance the m a um from the from the time that Rob and I went out in June and did the pre run of it where we always do that before a filming so we can get the uh, filming spots. Um, so we know I'm going to, we're going to film here and this is what we're going to see and blah, blah, blah is when we went out to do that in June, we lost almost a hundred miles of the route when we filmed it in sep end of September to pavement. So it's, it, it goes very, very rapidly and very,
1: very quickly. So be thank be thankful what you guys have out here for sure. Yeah, we're we're very fortunate, and we've interviewed some people who who've been riding around the world on the podcast too, and they they also tell us how great we just have it here in the states too. So it's definitely something to be thankful for that we have these opportunities.
0: I've ridden all over the world, and and I tell you that Nevada, Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado are there are places that are non-existent anywhere else in the world. It's a very special place.
1: So when you guys go out and you create these routes and, and you film your documentaries and everything, everyone is a volunteer. So how, how do you manage to corral this many people to help support the, the BDR mission?
0: Um, well, and, and I'll, I'm going to also just sort of interject in there is that we only have two paid employees. Um, we have a, a not quite, but almost full-time um, director of operations who is Ina Thorne, and Ina Thorne is our uh, basically takes care of all of the paperwork and uh, and the legal stuff and the working these um, uh, tourist expenditure sheets and doing all those types of things. So it's actually a real job for her. Um, She has an assistant as of about two months ago that helps to answer emails that people send in and do that. But as far as the rest of us that get involved in routing um, and doing the documentaries, we do that all on our own dollar. Um, For instance, the MA costs I think my expenses when I got all said and done was for the three years cost me about $40,000 to be commuting back and forth, um, the hotels, the flights, the shipping of bikes, and all that kind of craziness in order to route that. And I think when the outside community starts to realize that there are individuals within the group that are willing to sort of put their money where their mouth is. I think that sort of spurs people on to say, you know what, I can help. I may not be able to spend the money. I may not be able to do to that level, which it's not expected. Um, But what they can do is they can can help by providing – good places to go, um, areas that maybe we're not familiar with, um, in order to route a route through, or maybe we have a special needs community that we would really like to see people go through because they just lost their, their, you know, I don't know, their lumber yard, whatever is. So we, we spend a lot of time sort of, massaging the local community we when we start a route we often go in and we'll speak with a uh, with a dealership um, and that dealership will become the sponsor of the route we then store start to go in and and work with their people in order to provide us with names of people that are very passionate about, um, ADV writing. And then it just sort of evolves into having a group to do that. Okay. The snowballs from there. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy thing to, to have your listeners, you know, I'm going to, at some point, I'm sure I'm going to say if, you know, if you guys want to be involved, get involved. Um, it's it's not as rapid as uh, a month and all of a sudden, boom, everything is done. We, it, it takes a long time for it to evolve. And some of our routes like Montana has been going on for probably over five years now. So it, it things change and, and more areas open or more areas close. So there's always this, these times, you know, that go on. But providing us routes, um, being somewhat, um, you know, careful as to not to provide too much information to us, you know, and reading a book every time someone gives us, you know, 30 miles worth of route, it's more trying to get a a feel for, what the route and, and for instance in oregon if 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 one day we ever go back to Oregon we're going to be calling out to people like you guys to say, "Where do you guys think you want it to go eventually I'll get a hundred people that say, "Oh I want to help, I want to help, and that'll weed itself out over the next two or three months um down to say ten or fifteen people, and of that over a year, maybe there's five people and those those people, once we – I don't want to say weed it out because everyone has a really good amount of input and information that we're going to use. But what it ends up doing is that it, it gets us to a core group that don't mind the time uh, as far as how long it's going to take to develop it. Um, I think one of the big things that's very disappointing with people is um, it's pretty exciting to see your face on the big screen. To be a part of something like this, and we can't always, you know, say that that's going to happen. Um, if I've got ten guys that are that are all part of California, we have to be very specific as to who's going to be part of the of the documentary. Um, so, and that's a turnoff for some people. I've had people on the on the, in the southeast, for instance, that um, were very specific, saying, "I I will help you, but I'm in in the movie, right." And I'm like, well, no, I don't even know if I'm going to be in the movie. So, <laughs> so it it comes down to two people that make that decision. Um, but it's more of, you know, it, it's more of the. The love and and why I do it personally is that I love it when I'm at a IMS show, for instance, and and someone walks in that, you know, gives me a hug and and wants his picture with me to say, you know, you've changed my life with this route, and and I can't believe that you know I've missed this whole opportunity most of my life, and now I'm back into it. That's that's what drives me. It's it's knowing that my 25 year old son who is very active with me in routing that he has the opportunities in the beginning and, and your girlfriend to have the opportunities to be able to go out there. It's a, it's a very special thing for people. It allows you to discover who you are, allows you to experience people that you wouldn't normally have interaction with, and it's all brought together because of, a, of an ADV bike.
1: Okay. So aside from possibly contributing to a route, Somewhere along the way, somewhere in the States, I'm sure you guys get a lot of, uh, suggestions, but how else can people, I noticed that you have a, a, a BDR supporter page. Is that another way that we can, we can help you guys get some of these routes finished up?
0: Yep. The supporter page, you can reach out if you have, you know, comments or, um, want to volunteer time um you know maybe some of you are completely favorite we're currently routing the north um california as well um so we've got two guys down in northern california that are attempting to put together about 800 miles um so you may there may be someone sitting in this audience that says wow you know i grew up in redding i know that area from Shasta up to the Oregon border, for instance. Um, Those types of things of just sort of putting that out there and allowing people to sort or the people that are the route bosses um, to weed through that um, is very helpful. Um, It doesn't have to be in the routing um, to be an ambassador or to be part of it. It, um, We have we have uh, shows uh, that we attend like the KTM rallies for instance um sometimes it's because we this every time i take a day off from my job it's a vacation day for me and i i go to a KTM rally and i sit in a in a BDR booth, and I talk to people. So having people that will say, hey, well, I'm, I'm going to be at the KTM rally, I'd love to help you guys, or I'm going to be at the Tour Tech rally, or blah, 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 um, is those types of things are, are very important for us. It helps to defer our time commitment, which is great. Um, the other one is, is we have um, people, like, for instance, in, in law, um, or we have individuals that have taken companies through a five hundred one C three before that are pro bono a little bit to us. They provide information, or they may do a filing now and again for us. Um, so there's there's other things as well that that um, one doesn't have to be on the on a in the saddle of a motorcycle to help us out.
1: Okay, and you guys also do fundraisers throughout the year, right? Now a couple of weeks ago, you were. You're kind of doing a fundraiser for the SoCal BDR, is that correct?
0: Yeah, and I won't – I'll probably say that we don't necessarily do the fundraiser specifically for a given route. Um, SoCal happens to have uh, the Palm Canyon Resort um, in uh, Borrego Springs where we were at um, is in proximity to the SoCal route. So we try, now that we've got routes all over the Southwest and and those areas in there, we try to move the fundraisers from spot to spot to sort of allow people that wouldn't normally um, ride in those areas the opportunity to go down and to see some fresh terrain and some fresh areas. Um, This particular one just happened to be close to SoCal. So we had quite a few riders leave um, uh, after the event and ride the actual uh, Southern California route. Um, some people take it off from Chula Vista or whatever, and they humped over to the other side and and rode up to the uh, to the event and and made it a you know the three days that they were there. It just made for a, a, a three day layover to continue their ride, but the the. They're very important for us. Um, the, it, it gives the, uh, the opportunity for individuals that are not necessarily in the day-to-day fray of the BDR activities. Um, it allows them a voice. Um, you, you go to these things. We sit at round tables, We have discussions about where we're going, what we're we're doing. Um, I printed here some of the things that we talked about was like, we do an annual report um, in the beginning. We do a rules and safety um, uh, presentation and talk. Um, we then pre- uh, list out all of the rides that are going to be taking over that week. And from there we get our, On maybe the next day we'll have our marketing guy speak or um, possibly we'll talk about the um, particular uh, level of route development or it, we're at, for instance, with the Northeast. Um, This one this year, we had a a bunch of um, uh, European uh, individuals that were there promoting not to the us but promoting to European customers to come over and to do these BDRs, so so getting in contact with that and, and letting, the, letting these group of people be able to provide their thoughts and insights um, as to what should take place or providing ideas and, and we, we usually walk away with more ideas than we can actually handle. Um, which is good and it's uh, it it always allows us to grow and i think if if anybody has followed the b d r in the in the in the films throughout the life, you can see how it 's evolving you can see the you know how it 's gone from sort of a i don 't want to say a hack um kind of deal but it 's gone from very raw to um i i think uh uh, California is a prime example to where it's something that, you know, is worthy to be put
1: on a big screen and, and it's, it's there, it's, it's done very, very professionally now. The the documentaries evolve over time, just like the, you know, the, the ride BDR group, right?
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And, and yeah. we're, we're
0: constantly evolving those people. Um, when I was asked to be a board member, I actually uh, took a, a spot, a vacating spot with, um, uh with Sterling Noreen um so it it allows new fresh blood and fresh meat to be put in um to the fray uh, so we can get some new di- ideas um he had very good ideas when it came to filming and 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 that but it sort of looks at I'm, I have nothing to do with the motorcycle industry I personally accept I I buy stuff just like your your listeners do. I, I ride as often as I can ride, but I don't benefit anything from it. So the board felt that it was very important to have non-industry people start to get involved. And so that it's not looked at as uh, – we get these negative comments sometimes because of Paul Gillian being sort of the founder – of the BDRs as we are right now, that it was a tour tech thing. Well, it's not really a tour tech thing. It's because he was passionate about riding a motorcycle. He just happened to own a tour tech company, which paid for the first two or three films that came out. So we didn't, couldn't make enough money in order to, to facilitate the cost. So they picked up
1: the, the lion's share at the end. Sure. And all of us that can, again, download the tracks, purchase a map and go ride one of these routes, we're the benefactors, not Paul.
0: That is correct. Yeah, I, I would imagine at some point Paul benefits only because someone's going to take their GSA or their KTM 1090, 690 or 701, and they're going to build it out because you know at some point you need to do that type of stuff. But, but it was not specifically done as a as a purpose to be able to have his name out there. That there was a need. Um, we needed to build the the sport. Um, We needed to increase the industry, and and I think we've done that in a very sort of professional and easily
1: manageable way. Yeah, I'm. It's a good time to be, you know, involved or passionate about adventure motorcycling. And there's always, again, there's always anticipation for that next route that you guys are going to release.
0: Yeah, and then for the motorcycle world, it's it's the largest um, developing segment of the motorcycle world are ADV bikes. So you have, for instance, I was when I was in Chicago, I was talking to the the Harley guys came by and they were, you know, telling me how excited they were to have now Harley's coming out with a, an adventure style bike. How adventurous it's going to be. I don't know if they're. You know, <laughs> Take, taking a garage queen and they're turning it into a, putting knobbies on it and saying that it's, a, that it's an off road bike. I, I don't know that. They didn't have the bike there. But yeah, but you see a lot of commitments from KTM, um, a lot of commitments from BMW now that are you know putting a lot more effort into um, developing long distance, um, powerful yet slightly lighter bikes
1: in order to do this sport. For sure. Hey, we're getting close to wrapping this up. I want to ask you a few kind of uh, personal questions, or in your opinion, first things first. You know, if you're going to jump on your BMW today, <clears throat> what's your favorite route? Where are you going to go? Um, I. Th-
0: uh, wow. You know, probably my favorite so far was New Mexico. I have a. It's got a big soft spot in my heart because i i really enjoy the the southwest um and i think um new mexico sort of um filled that appetite for me it it it, it gave me something that i could go down there and i learned a whole lot um right. my riding career has been the whole west coast um forever i didn't ride much in colorado you know until my kids were a little older and we would stay in crested butte for instance for a month and we would just ride in the mountains all the time so but i think new mexico was probably my favorite um it was the first time i was in a documentary so i think that helps to influence it (laughs) for sure (laughs) so it was fun it was very exciting and I hit a deer, which sucked. Oh. So I had to get out of the movie, but but I pre-ran it with Sterling and and one of my best friends, uh, Howard Hale, came down with us and and rode it, and
1: so it was really fun. It was it was very 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 cool for me. Okay, next one. What state uh, do you most want to see a route in that doesn't have one yet?
0: Um, I'm personally pretty excited about Wyoming. Um, I'm very excited about Montana. Um, if they threw me a bone right now to say, where would you want to do your next routing, Kevin, I would probably lean towards a South Dakota, North Dakota route um, or potentially do a, a route from uh, Louisiana, uh, say down in New Orleans and have it go up through um, that sort of the Appalachian Trail area. Um, in order to connect the whole east coast so we'd have a you know 35 3600 mile
1: route that way almost a continuous route okay yeah i've had some uh, instagram followers ask me about the possibility of texas or alaska in the future texas is
0: probably not a real probable area um, because of the private land Um, there's there's easy ways to be able to you know, circle around Elephant Butte or something um, numerous times, but it's very, very difficult to do a north, uh, I'm sorry, a south to north route that's cons- um, connected. Um, it would require us to have to move east or west through pavement in order to get around. You know, three hundred thousand acre ranches and things of that. And 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 it's been tried down there. That that was probably the second. Once Colorado was done, Um, New Mexico was being routed, Um, Texas at the same time was trying to be routed. And it just is – there isn't a lot of open space opportunities down there. Alaska, um, we've never really talked about Alaska a whole lot because of the complexity of getting there. Um, I think we're trying to do the contingent um, U.S. first. Um, We're not running out of states. Uh, We have people in Missouri that would really like us to come out. Um, We've got uh, a proposed route right now from a veterinarian that just retired um, that's in the Michigan, uh, Wisconsin area. So we'll be working on that. I I could see us dumping over the border um, before we actually go maybe up into Alaska. Um, jumping up into maybe doing a slight circle of route um, through maybe some province of, of Canada in order to to have a pretty stellar route.
1: Last thing here before we go, Kevin, obviously we've got the Ride BDR website. I think that's our source for just about everything we need to know. But do you want to plug us on any any of your partners or sponsors for, for backcountry discovery routes or let us in on any other information?
0: Well, I tell you, there's a, I don't want to say there's a gazillion sponsors, but there's a considerable amount on the website. Um, I would really like to say, you know, big thank you, um, to KTM, um, for what they did for us this year. Um, it looks like they would like to come back again, which we're in the talking stages of that, which will be great. Um, they've actually committed a pro rider for us for the Northeast, which will be fun. Um. So that'll be there. Um, the other is also for Honda. Honda was our first major corporate sponsor um, that uh, ponied up, uh, you know, quite a bit of money to help us in order to to film one of the ones, uh, Nevada mainly. Um, but the rest of them are small. To to embarrass myself by not being able to say all of the sponsors that we have, I I think if you go on the website, you'll see them there. You'll you'll see. You know Eric Haugen from Wolfman Luggage, for instance. He's been a a long time full on sponsor. Butler Maps has been there from the beginning. Um, they've never made a dime on us. So those types of guys are are very you know very important for us. Um, and they they contribute a lot. Uh, they contribute sometimes even gear, which is which is great when you. Guys like me, I have five motorcycles, and three of them I stage around the U.S. um, in order to go route. Um, Sometimes it gets very expensive, and, and, you know, Eric has graced me with a few bags now and again, which is extremely helpful um, in order to defray some of my costs. Um, We're not... Sponsored by anybody, nobody gives any of the writers cash or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. We're all free to do whatever we need to do. But and TourTech is a really big one, and and I don't want to harp on that a huge amount, but they they were very instrumental in getting this going, and and they are a huge huge part of of the the overall success of it. And not only Paul, but the rest of the guys there are masterful at uh, at. Yeah, making my job as a logistics guy um, a lot easier because most of our stuff we keep at Tour Tech as a as the BDR organization, so they help me to you know put our packets together to to do our boxes for our supporters and all that type of stuff. So there's a lot of things that they they pony up to help us with.
1: Okay, all right, Kevin. Any parting shots? Anything else our listeners should know before we close this one out? Um,
0: I, I would say if you get out there, enjoy it.
1: Be respectful
0: of the community. Is is ride respectfully. Um, always ride right. Be safe. Um, don't go out there with uh, anticipate or, or with the idea and thought that this is uh, again the Baja One Thousand because they're not. Um it's it's a it's a good time to explore the US because as we begin to become overpopulated and that, we're gonna start to lose some of these things. So get out there and 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 enjoy it. Enjoy it while it still is open and, and free for us to do so. So if you feel you wanna come in and, and be a supporter of the BDR, I would encourage you to do so. Um it helps again to defray costs. It it allows us to go out um and provide monies to small organizations that are doing basically the same thing that we're doing um to sort of make things right you know
1: keep us all out there all right sound advice kevin and i just want to thank you all your ambassadors all your supporters for all the work that you guys have done and, and i'm sure we'll continue to do i think again i think we uh the riders just your everyday riders like myself i think we're the the big benefactors here Yeah, right. well, i really appreciate it john thanks to
0: everybody that's out there that is a current supporter. Uh, even if you're not a supporter, if you've downloaded the tracks, you are in, in some degree supporting the organization. Right? And we really, really appreciate that.
1: Kevin, thank you for coming on the show. And on behalf of myself and our listeners, I just want to take a second here to thank you and everyone involved with Backcountry Discovery Roots for the amazing work that you've done for all of us. And listeners, Arizona, California, Colorado, Washington, New England, coming soon, Wyoming, Montana, just to name a few. All these amazing routes that they've put out for us are routes that are in progress, where we can simply visit their website, ridebdr.com, download the tracks, do our homework, do some research on the site, possibly purchase a map or donate to BDR, and then set off on a on your first motorcycle adventure or a fresh motorcycle adventure. Most of that uh, that planning work for you and the navigational work is done for you ahead of time. This is really an unprecedented resource for adventure riders. So again rideBDR.com and at RideBDR on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Listeners, I think you're in luck this week. A second episode of the podcast comes out Thursday with Agla Garrett. She's a regular contributor to the website and forum ADV Rider. She's obviously an around the world writer, another one joining the podcast. Follow Dakar this year. We're going to talk about the reality of sponsored travel, influencers, etc, etc, etc. So you do not want to miss that particular episode this Thursday. Listeners, seeing as we're talking backcountry discovery routes, I want to let you in on a little bit of information. Ben Motorcycle Adventures will be guiding and riding the Colorado backcountry discovery route September 1st through September 5th of this year. It may not jive with the dates that are on our website, but that is our plan. So if you'd like to get together and ride with Ben Motorcycle Adventures, we've got bikes you can utilize. You can go all-inclusive, get your hotel, get your food, get your lodging, whatever the case may be. Get all that included in the package again, September 1st through the 5th, five days, five nights. We're going to ride the Colorado backcountry discovery route, and then I'm going to flex into Idaho for a week and lead a bit of a, a private tour for seven days. So there's your opportunity if you want to ride with Ben Motorcycle Adventures and you want to ride one of the most popular backcountry discovery routes, Colorado, shoot me an email, BenMotorcycleAdventures@gmail.com, at gmail.com, and let's talk about riding that Colorado backcountry discovery route. Last thing before we close it out here, just want to plug our social media accounts one more time at Ben Motorcycle Adventures on Facebook and Instagram, where you can also check us out on YouTube. Now, we just picked up a new KTM 250 EXC, the KTM 250 Dual Sport model, so we're going to be putting some content up that revolves around that bike in the very near future, and then obviously I am anticipating the delivery of my KTM 790 Adventure R, in the very near future. So hopefully that rolls in in May and then we'll have all sorts of stuff to talk about and shoot video on. So don't forget about us at Ben Motorcycle Adventures on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And I think that's it guys. I'll see you again Thursday. Thanks for listening.